Hello and welcome to the STG podcast episode 23. This time I am alone because Johanna is away, but I have a very good guest with us or with me, depends. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Mika from Kuro Distillery Company. Hello. So it's very nice that you actually came here and uh, I would like to tell this quick story before like how actually <laughs> this end up that we, I was in this festival and uh, the Kuro had this uh, stand over there selling gin tonics and whiskey. And then I just went there, asked to some people over there that were serving, like, hey, would you be interested to come to our podcast? We just do this with friends. It would be very interesting. And turns out that you are one of the founders of the distillery and you were nice enough to join us for this hour of discussion about gin. So first of all, well, thanks to come here. And maybe we start with uh, something about yourself, like what do you want to tell about yourself and how do you end up making gin? Yeah, no, no problem. And, and thanks for having me. So it's, uh, it's not every festival we get to go to anymore. There's starting to be too many of them. So, <clears throat> you know, from a founder perspective, uh, we can do only so much, but uh, I'm glad that uh, we happened to meet uh, at Namat. Yeah, that's one of the best, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, something about me. So I'm, uh, I'm Mika Lipianen, one of the founders of uh, Gure Distillery and uh, currently acting as the CEO and um, managing a couple of markets, uh, export markets for us. And um, so, how I got in, yeah. Well, yeah, how did you got into this business? So it's um you know it's a very Finnish story in a sense. So it's uh, me and a couple of friends drinking initially actually rye whiskey in a sauna. And, okay, um, of course, of course, as we do. Um, and well, sauna, yes, but rye whiskey a bit rarer. But uh, we were wondering, like, since rye is basically the national grain of Finland, why isn't anybody making great rye spirits and and uh, from that night onwards, we set out to be the ones uh, who would uh, would crack this uh, new market. And we initially, you know, started with the idea of rye whiskey, but quickly came to the conclusion that, um, first of all, Finland has a lot, lot of other stuff to offer as well, in addition to rye, uh, like berries and botanicals. And uh, the second thing is that it's kind of nice to make at least some money uh, during the first three years of your company. So we figured that's okay. Gin might be nice. Yeah. So since you make whiskey, you need to wait at least three years before you can actually sell it while you wait that the whiskey, well, the soon to be whiskey is in the bottle. Yeah, absolutely. In, in European Union, all, all whiskey needs to be in, in there three years. That's for yeah. sure. So is it different in different countries? There's, uh, there's a lot of uh, wild, wild, West and East out there where the regulation isn't that as strict. So for instance, in, in even in USA, there's no regulation around the world word whiskey. Um, you, okay. well, almost none, none. You have to have something in a charred barrel or actually charred vessel uh, for even one second. And it, it can be called whiskey, uh -huh. <laughs> but there, there's okay. more regulation actually around bourbon and rye. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, it's good that in Europe, at least, we try to do the things properly. Absolutely. But yeah, so then you just decided, okay, let's let's do it. 
maybe we i don't think it's very interesting to go into the technical detail how you open a distillery in finland that's very limited <laughs> amount of people would care about that uh and yeah the idea of this episode is to keep on the gin uh, we can leave the whiskey for another time if we ever do it uh so how did you decide that okay now let's make gin and not vodka that is more common in finland we've uh, traditionally been a, a fairly basic sort of food culture uh i call it like um, meat and potatoes and vodka poke. <laughs> but uh, we figured that you know what is not that interesting you can make it in a couple of styles you can make it in um a nordic style which is uh you know really clean crisp you can make it russian style which is intentionally left a bit uh, thicker and dirtier um, but we figured that um, since we're in finland and we've got an awesome clean nature here and uh, we have uh, a lot of opportunities around foraging berries and botanicals so like the everyman's right where you can go into anybody's lot and and, and pick wild growing stuff uh, from the nature as long as you don't venture too close to the yeah yeah don't go, go to steal their their yard <laughs> plants but <of laughs> yeah exactly so you know for us it seemed like a great fit and and definitely already back then so we, we got the idea in 2012 i should say and we started uh, distilling 2014 so there was a lengthy period in between where we had to get the money and everything together but um, in 2012, especially, uh, gin wasn't uh, a big thing in Finland yet. So, you know, while it was definitely on the rise in, in Spain and UK, uh, it, it hadn't really come up to Finland. And we figured, OK, this might, might be an interesting thing to do. And thus we set out to do it. And it ended up quite nicely, I would say, since the Nampo gin ended up being one of the what was the uh, one of the price of best gin tonic? I'm not really sure which price was it. Yeah, so it was uh, in the international wine and spirits competition. We got selected as the the world's best uh, gin for gin and tonics, and that was in 2015, which is, was essentially the first year we we had our gin out in you know the final format, and uh, it was a really nice prize to get. Yeah, considering that basically you just made the gin, waiting for the whiskey, and right away you get this very nice gin out of the distillery and you win a prize. It must have been quite nice for well you as a morale boost and well also to keep the distillery to actually sell something for many years. In our hands, but um, uh, to put it out there in the world's biggest competition, of course, like you've got spirits competitions basically for everyone so everybody can get a prize out there uh, by participating in absolutely everything you can find but um, this was the world's biggest one and it was the only one we participated in that year and and you know it was sort of a joke so okay let's get some feedback how it does against the big boys and yeah it did well and here, here you go you got it yeah yeah for sure and and even since then you know we've uh, uh, there's a, like the the two biggest ones are International Wine and Spirits (IWSC) and San, Fr San Francisco Spirits. So we've we've been taking down some pretty good prizes ever since. But uh, we figured, okay, let's um, let's just focus on on you know uh, 
creating some new stuff, improving what we do and, and really getting it out there rather than getting fixated on the whole price game. <clears throat> so one of the things is like, uh, did you, any of you had some preview experience on how to make gin and well, I guess whiskey more or just came out with the time working there? Well, not, not really. I, you know, we, true story, we uh, had to Google how to make gin. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so we really did not. Um, what we did have is that our head distiller, Kalle, who's one of my co-founders as well, he's got a big background in, in brewing beer and he's, um, um, he's got a master's in ecology, so he knows the biological side of the process very well. Oh, okay. So we, we definitely had to go out and learn the distilling. And then Carlos made a lot, a lot of beer from before. So, you know, the fermentation and all, all of that jazz, you know, we yeah. got it down pat. But uh, definitely on, on the distilling side, we had to go on this, um, you know, you know, the uh, training montage from uh, Rocky movies. Yeah. So <laughs> sort, of, sort of did that around Europe in various sorts of distilleries. And, um, and you know, it's a communal um, industry. So people will, were generally really happy to just have us over and do some distilling and ask a lot of questions. And uh, slowly but surely, we started to put everything together. But as I said, like when you when you, we started to make the, the gin, well, we had to Google about the process, but we had this idea that we put a finished summer day in a bottle and um, have that as the leading light for the sort of the soul of the product, if, if you will. Yeah, and uh, well, it's a, uh... Well, being in Finland, and it's I have this funny stories that uh, I started to be really into gin a few years ago, and uh, I started to buy a few gins, and then there was a time when the Napoe starts to be a little a little bit known in Finland. So I like okay, this it's finished. Why why not? I'm gonna first try the one the place where I live from. Now I kind of started to get as many gin as possible from around the world and. I have maybe more than 30 now at home that are just there gathering dust because, well, I cannot <laughs> drink that much. Uh, but then after that, some of my friends, they come here and like, yeah, I don't know, gin tonic, I never liked it because uh, I had bad experience when I was young. So, of course, they you go to some random bar when you are 20 years old and they have some the cheapest gin and the cheapest tonic and it tastes horrible and you really don't like that. And <laughs> you after the day after is not really a good experience but then i was like yeah okay come here try some good gin and now most of them they are way way too much into gin tonic also them <laughs> so <laughs> this uh i don't know if it's uh, seen as a good thing it's like hey yeah you help people to get into drinking gin tonic but when you do it in a proper way with the good drinks the drinking itself is not the problem because you it's really hard to get too drunk when you drink good drinks it's just more for the taste and for enjoying than more to just okay let's just drink this bottle and get wasted absolutely i mean uh, in in the old and golden days because it, it used to be in in finland and definitely almost everywhere in the world you you had your big brands you know i won't mention any names in order to not, not to bash on competition <laughs> but, but like um, the the norm was to have 
fairly uh, fairly weak, but really like pungent, really punchy uh, gin that was um, like distilled for effectiveness rather than profile. And then you combine that with um, uh, fairly bland, but very overly sugared uh, classic Indian tonic waters. And, yeah. and what, you, what you get is a combination of um, that classic gin bitterness, but followed through by just the alcohol punch and then a lot of sugar. And, you know, that's, that's not an ideal format to really tasting anything. Yeah, then on that, it's probably also uh, a bit about the taste that maybe some people like more uh, a London dry type of gin that it's always a bit stronger on the, let's say, typical gin taste or with a more mild gin with that comes out all the whatever herbal flavor you put into the gin. So usually the, the cheap gins, they always London dry as dry as possible not really good and then now there is this uh really wide variety of genes coming with uh some that taste a bit like black tea and something has some celery and some have uh like the this herbs from the country they are from and it's really becoming so interesting to to taste what the country has to offer and that was one of the your ideas yeah absolutely so it's uh, yeah, I think we're reaching the point where the limits of gin as, you know, it, it's worthwhile possibly recapping, you know, what is gin? Gin is essentially a juniper flavored neutral spirit that can have other components in the taste, but it has to be juniper led. And it, it, like if you want to be really reductionist about it, you could call gin a flavored vodka and okay and if you put some yeah like, yeah it's kind of true but then then again like every every alcohol is like uh just flavored ethanol so yeah at the end uh, yeah <laughs> yeah let's, let's not be too picky about it but like when we get to these uh, modern iterations of gin like i i know some purists that um don't venture out from london dry at all and the London dry process um, and would not even even sort of accept our gin in, in their cabinet. But then when we get even further into these uh, strawberry and uh, like blood orange and um, rhubarb gins, which don't really carry a lot of juniper anymore or even at all, um, and at least in the flavor, of course, in the recipe, but yeah in the flavor then then we start to venture around um, the territory of uh, flavored vodka okay so is it gin anymore yeah it's it's kind of scary for the category like how yeah. far can you take it and how far people can take it but definitely the consumer loves all, all that right now uh, especially in the in spain and in uk in spain you have your cheap uh, strawberry gins and they're doing really well uh, so you know who am i to argue uh, there's a, there's a campaign started by, I think, Heyman's, one of the... Uh, Charles Heyman is the current uh, guy leading the Heyman's brand, but his great-great-great-grandfather, I think, uh, invented Bombay gin back in the day. So they have a campaign like hashtag stop fucking with gin. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's creating this counter reaction in the industry, but it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Okay, that's that's something I since I'm not following the the industry side, that's interesting to know that yeah, of course it's going to be kind of a little bit of a fight maybe from the more yep. tourist gene maker and this that maybe follow the market trends and they go on this uh i don't know if they started to be yeah flavor vodka or more like 20 percent alcohol liquors that they sell to younger people or yep. and yeah. and for me you know as a as an industry guy uh you know i i don't mind like let, let people experiment uh as uh, a drinker myself uh when we get into the realm of let's say some of these jeans that are are flavored with uh, prosciutto or you know some sort of meat. Oh, okay. Oh, then, no. then I, yeah, then I go like, um, maybe maybe not. Maybe this is just a step too far for me. And and even <laughs> I found my limit of uh, liberalism in in gin. And yeah. <laughs> it's somewhere not in the meat meat gin category. Yeah, it's interesting to experiment on the gin side with herbs, but when you get a little bit too hardcore maybe maybe not yeah i don't know and also then at some point it's a profile question like how how delicate or how crisp clean do you want your gin to be like how much can it have uh, uh, some sort of uh, heavy umami component or other flavor components which take it uh, away from the juniper crispness but you know back in way back in the day gin juniper was just a way of making terrible terrible badly done alcohol taste somewhat acceptable. <laughs> Decent. so yeah exactly so i wouldn't i wouldn't be one of those guys who declare like yeah we used to have it better like no we did we didn't back then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from here it's interesting to go like because okay now we are speaking and we kind of you, you for sure i kind of know it but how do you actually end up making the gin so what do you need and what are the steps like without going maybe too much into details just how do you make gin so um with with gin uh, there's of course the the technical eu regulations around it but i, I won't go in, into all, all those specifics but let's just uh by and large say that gin is um neutral alcohol which you then flavor with the juniper either by macerating the juniper meaning um seeping uh, seeping the taste in from the berry into the liquid or you can vapor distill it which means you you distill alcohol and let the alcohol vapor run through a basket with the gin herbs including uh, juniper and, okay. uh, and that, then you yeah yeah, and that's how you end with the juniper taste uh, as the predominant flavor in the, in the spirit. Okay, and so then you, well, of course, you change your taste with the amount of herbs you put during the distillation process. Exactly, and 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 you can you can do it uh, in in many kinds of ways. Like if you if you're doing a London dry gin, you're supposed to do it all at one go, so you can't add anything after distillation uh, and you can't you can't fiddle with the spirit at all um, and if you if you're doing a more sort of modern take on a gin like we are you can combine these processes and what we do is we we macerate a number of uh, our berries and botanicals first 
uh, and um, then we pump it into our still, uh, which is a copper brass, uh, sorry, copper pot still. And then we attach a herbal basket in there with a couple of uh, more botanicals. Uh, and we from those, we want only lighter oils, so like elderflower and hibiscus. Then we distill the alcohol vapor through. And then finally, we distill our fresh botanicals, these finished components separately into rye alcohols, and we combine the whole lot in the end. So it's okay. A, it's, well, that's much more complicated than I expected. Yeah. Like if you if you want to be like really efficient about it, like the classical distilleries are, you just run a constantly running system, like more a chemical process plan, and then you you just uh, keep on adding, uh, removing old and adding new uh, botanical mix into your vapor basket, essentially. Yeah. So you just keep distilling the alcohol through your bot botanicals, and yeah. you change those very yeah. easily, and exactly. you basically Whereas... produce all the time. Exactly. Whereas we do everything in a multi-step batch and batch per batch. And then you've got a number of distilleries leveraging their small equipment and doing either one or more of the steps that we do, but then adding neutral alcohol afterwards. So it's like you have a juice concentrate and then you add water in order to get more volume. So you can do that to gin as long as you just uh, distill a heavy enough concentrate in the beginning and then extend it. But, yeah, okay, uh, we, and that we... is basically how most of the distillates are done, that you distill like higher alcohol percentage and then you uh, add water at the end. Uh, well, actually, sort of, the, sort of the other way around, you distill a heavier flavor uh, compound and then you add uh, neutral uh high ethanol spirit afterwards ah okay and and then you, and then, then, then you, you water it down yeah yeah okay so the ah, okay yeah. so it's yeah the water is that just to control the percentage that you want to get Absolutely. at the end yes okay and is there some because i know that the whiskey or where is it i'm not sure now uh do you have to have a certain percentage of alcohol minimum and maximum to be called gin yeah uh 37.5 Okay, so there is the there is some limit that you have to stay in. Yes, although like most modern gins, of course, would be of uh, higher ABV, but we used to have a a fair number uh, under under forty percent. Uh, for whiskey, for instance, the the, the lower bound is forty percent. Yeah. Yeah. So and also when you get to higher, like around fifty, starts to be maybe a little bit too much, at least. Uh, you start to feel it a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. But there, there is an old category in gin called uh, navy strength, and and uh, it's the, sort of the same as in rum, and it comes from the old navy times where if uh, if your boat gets either hit by a projectile or or you're in a storm or whatever, and your liquid um, your liquid rations uh, dip into your and mix with your gunpowder you know, barrels falling over and whatnot. So the requirement is that the gunpowder still has to be able to be lit. So you still have to be able to fire your cannon. So the alcohol has to be in a high enough proof. Ah, that's a, that's a nice. So now finally I know why the Navy, I know there was something to do with the Navy, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I missed the last that you said. No, it's uh, I, I just caught up and nothing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, and then I have here on top of my desk a few of your other gin that they are this aged in a barrel gin. So what about those? It's uh, Of course, those are then not really used for cocktail, I would say. They are more for uh, drink alone. What did the story be behind those? The the Cosque or Cascade gin is actually it's great in cocktails, but not I I I would never make like a martini out of it. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you have this specific apple juice cocktail that fits very yeah, nicely. We do the uh, Snoop Dogg approved uh, gin and juice cocktail, <laughs> with it. but 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 also it's it's great in some more classical uh, spirit forward cocktails like uh, even an old fashioned or definitely a martinez or. Uh, something similar, and, and uh, there's actually a couple of guys in in the UK uh, making um, this uh, weird version of a daiquiri with it, like you know, with you know, the with lime, the gin, lime, yeah, especially the cold square, you know, with okay. uh, lime juice, lime juice, and some um, some sugar, and and then a bit of bitters. So it it lends itself uh, very well towards these classic cocktails, and uh, then the juice version, but um, it's not a classic what we call a, like a highball or a gin and tonic cocktail or a martini gin. Yeah, those are really interesting because they kind of it's they really change the taste of the of the gin. And like for me, since I'm from Veneto in Italy, and the typical drink there is grappa, and mm-hmm. you have, yeah. basically, then at this point, uh, grappa and gin they are kind of similar type of alcohol one is distilled with uh, grapes so the taste of course is different but uh, if you drink the white version of the grappa then it's really like drinking vodka not the best experience but then you have this old grappa that is in the barrel then it becomes really really nice and smooth and you can actually drink it nicely without really feeling the alcohol too much it's it's a it's such a misunderstood category uh, such as you know almost every country has their classical version of what's their moonshine you know yeah uh, you, you guys got grappa and the french have verde and uh, and then uh, in the caribbean you'd have like rum agricole or or white rum and and these sorts of things and um when when you start to age those liquids uh, some of them become very very good and okay, so now there's just a quick question about the rum. Is the white rum and the brown rum made in a different way? Well, traditionally, no. Uh, so it's just uh, a matter of aging. Okay, so the the brown is aged. Okay. Yeah. Although nowadays rum is much, much more of a wild west compared to some of these heavier heavily regulated categories like whiskey and um, unfortunately there's a lot of sugar addition going on with rum nowadays so it's um uh, it's what the french would call the bon element like uh, the, the good element and uh, you you add some sugar to make your stuff sweeter as, uh, as they do for some of the cognac and armonic as well oh okay yeah so that's uh to cover the bed part of the yeah, alcohol kind of even in some vodka like in vodka you can have a maximum of eight grams of sugar per liter 
you know, just to round off the taste. I okay. said, you know, might as well make a better product than not that sugar. Yeah, but then of course depends how, how where do you want to sell it and to who you want to sell it. Yeah, of course, yeah. It it can't be all craft out there. Yeah, it's uh, and there is quite a big now market of people that actually understood that, and it's. Uh, I'm really so happy about that. And so, like, let's drink for the taste, and not because we want to just get wasted. That's such a big change in the mind of people that I really also now that when you grow grow older, you also kind of understand that a bit more the morning after. Uh, and it, but, it's it's more civilized in many ways like it's yeah. <laughs> especially in western countries it's not even in you know in in 90s in in the early 2000s it used to be like you, you get that big big showy flashy bottle of vodka on your nightclub table and you know that makes you a tough guy yeah. um but it, it, we're moving away from that fortunately yeah yeah that, that's good at least at least we can say that now it's better than before that is Ways. you know back in my time it was better at least <laughs> yeah yeah uh i have few things here still uh i don't know how much we want to go into the it would be actually be interesting to go a little bit more on the technical side of making the gin i don't know how much yeah, of course you can say about your gin but in a general way uh like starting from to you get your okay let's say we start from your gene okay <laughs> i just said but, yeah, all right <laughs> uh, do you get your botanicals like how do you do like you cultivate yourself you just go out and get them do you just buy them from around yeah well it's a combination so in in finland for instance the juniper tree is protected so we we don't have a lot of uh, collection of juniper berries there's some collection for you know this sort of uh, non-mass commercial foraging, but um, that we end up in a situation there where we like just in kilos we don't have enough in in Finland uh, for us to use, and um, and uh, the the stuff we have is it's okay, it's not better than uh, the stuff we normally use, but it's really really expensive. Uh, so what what we do is and what actually most um, European distillers do is that they use either Polish uh, or Slovenian. Okay, yeah, places where uh, or they actually, actually get a lot more. Yeah, like Slovenia, Armenia, over there, you, you get a lot of juniper uh, over on the hill and mountain sides. So um, that's a good place to source yours. And then um, there's, fortunately, there's, there's a quite wide uh, array of stuff uh, on even in the so, traditional gin herbs that you can get from Finland. Um, let's say your coriander and uh, cardamom and stuff like that. So Finland is actually a surprisingly big uh, grower of coriander. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that I didn't know. And and, and cumin. Uh, so you you can get a a fair amount of. Uh, um, so I, uh, I think we're. We're way up there in in the world in cumin production, so it's. Okay, funny, that's funny. not the spice that is really used in Finland, I guess. Yeah, besides, no, not that much. Yeah. Yeah. So those we can get uh, get from here, and then when we were designing the gin, uh, we uh, 
we looked at what should be the leading tastes after juniper and uh, those should definitely be local and not local to finland but local to our distillery so okay. um, so it's really local to the area where you are from and and what we did is that we started essentially picking and macerating and distilling absolutely everything we could find <laughs> uh, all the plants all the berries uh, everything and um that's how we ended up with the combination of uh, meadow sweet birch leaves sea buckthorn and, and cranberry uh, to complement the, the juniper and other dry spices to to really uh, top off the gin okay that's so then you ended up with the herbs that you find near your distillery so nowadays you still go and get them from there yeah absolutely we have a lot of uh, eager or not so eager <laughs> girls and guys at our distillery who go out picking during uh during an appropriate uh, period in the growth season i mean it it always depends on how hot the summer is of course everything yeah, like came this in one really, yeah everything came in really early this summer and yeah. um fortunately we we got enough of everything um we weren't late because it, it would be pretty much a catastrophe if we were late let's say picking birch leaves uh, and that, then that you have to fun. wait for the bad next batch to yeah it's it's it wouldn't be great but uh this year you know we we ended up uh, doing the picking at the right time and everything's cool but uh, it, it's definitely like every year you get something different and that's why for gin on the technical side, uh, the biggest challenge is definitely maintaining your profile. Of course, you can have exact measurements of your goods, but if there's a drastic change in your dry goods, or if there's um, a smaller change in, in your fresh goods, uh, you might then end up with a um, big change in the, your final product. Yeah, that I would imagine that maybe most of the people, they would not really realize that it changed that much if it's like small uh, part of the gin flavor. But of course, yeah. when you're selling a product, you need to keep it like the way the people expect it to be. Yeah, and uh, sometimes like the people in uh, down the sales channels, let's say Alago in Finland, our national retail monopoly, they might be really picky about changing the the product profile and if if let's say their taster would construe some change as a drop in quality then we might uh, fly out of the selection ah, okay that, so you know. they actually try the all the things they have all the time well they don't tell us the frequency of testing batches but i i know they do okay oh that's that's interesting so they actually there is some quality control over there there is definitely especially when you uh when you're applying for a listing on mm, the shelf yeah. then then there's a there's a big old tasting panel okay but, uh, that's that's a interesting news for and, me and uh, time to time you you have to analyze your stuff uh in order to you know not have any contaminants creep into your processor and since uh well i'm working in the chemistry department in alto so maybe that we can put some chemistry over there uh how much of the testing is actually chemical testing and how much is personal testing like yeah, testing so, so it, it's a it's a good distinction so there's uh, always um there's chemical and there's profile testing uh 
So uh, the chemical testing is done by a lab called ACL. So there's, uh, I know there's a, a, a few others, I think, but ACL does almost all. It, it used to be a part of the whole Alco Altia uh, group. And when uh, the government dismantled it, it, it's now it's a standalone operation, but it's still in Ruoholahti and uh, everybody sends basically every sample um, of a new product there to test. Okay. And and also once in a while you also do some testing to check. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, for the profile control, since we do batch distilling, we absolutely have to control every batch that comes out of of the distillery. So we've actually made it a thing where our entire staff um, gets uh, into the tasting process. And we have these uh, public company wide tastings at the distillery. Uh, usually we have uh, even two on Mondays and everybody records uh, their results in a double blind test against um, a control sample and a new batch. Um, and then uh, puts the results and comments down in a in a Google Drive sheet, and and then our uh, head of gin distilling Marta looks those over, and if there's any discrepancies there, she's going to come back to that batch and, and see whether there's something we can do about it. Okay, that's uh that's much more than I expected, and also <laughs> how then of course depending how how big the batch is, then this might be more or less frequent. Yeah, it's um, it, the testing is uh, quite frequent uh, since we make Napo and Costco, and now we have the bitters as well. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff usually to taste, so every week we would basically be at it, and um, we we've tried to establish that not not only to maintain like a steady state, but uh, have the bit of like the Japanese kaizen mentality where we can you know we can really be better every day. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, there are some maybe company that on Friday evening they go to drink a beer all together, and then you whatever day you do it, you get all together and get to drink some gin together. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad bad company culture to have. Yeah, no, for sure. And when you do good things, it's tastes even better. And uh, so, like, how? There's a question that I'm really curious myself, like, how do you really make a good gin? Do you just try until you like what you comes out? Or is there some really way to know at the beginning, like, okay, we have to do these things to make it good, or it's something that you just learn by doing? Oh. It's a combination of everything, really. So you you start for us. It was a key to start out with an idea. Okay, so this is this is sort of the mental state we want to be in when we have a sip of our our liquid, and and this these are the images we want to conjure. And then you start start working on from there, and you select your mix of uh, botanicals, and then uh, you work on two things really. So how well am I doing against that initial idea? And then how well am I balanced? And, uh, and uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you express an idea, which is, you know, uh, has some sort of a shared base with somebody in this world, 
and you do it in a balanced way, then your product can find find a crowd. Mm. So you're uh, just but, trying to speak with a certain type of people that like your gene or your yeah, idea of yeah, the gene. Yeah. yeah, essentially, and not 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 really even people like it. I think everybody can get into that mood that we have in Finland. You know, when you step out of a sauna on a on a Finnish lakeside or a meadow, and and you get these get this sense and uh, and this uh, ambience uh, floating up from your meadow sweet and your birch and 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 these uh, plants around you. So I think there's anybody can get into that, and we ha- just have to find the the right place and the right way to then present it and and bring it forward. Uh, and then we have to do it, of course, in a balanced way. So if if you're drinking an imbalanced liquid, if you're eating an imbalanced food, whether it's too salty or too sweet or whatever, it's not going to be, you know, mm, it's yeah. not going to be a good experience. So yeah, basically you're combining the experience, trying to find the balance with your idea that you're having. Of course, if you want just to sell as much gin as possible, you make it cheap. And if you want to make it nicer, you have to work on it a little bit more. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. your your uh, interpretation of the world might be very simple and and might be very effective. Saying like, uh, um, I I'm making a really sweet strawberry gin for people uh, who are in situations where they'd like to just eat an actual strawberry but uh, get drunk at the same mm. time. And, and let's make <laughs> yeah. it cheap. And, and and you know, it works. You know, from a business perspective, yeah. I can definitely respect that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah for sure but it, but it's not a very nuanced view yeah also consider i would imagine that since you're not only making just the gin you're making the whiskey so you kind of have a little i would say image to to show from the distillery that okay we are making a certain level of product in general absolutely and you know it's a uh... And for us in general, this uh, this whole thing is it's not um, just grow it and then flog it uh, type of scheme where we just sell it off to the highest bidder at the first possible chance. So we view this uh, me and my co-founders as a, a sort of a legacy thing. So we'd like to see this outlast us and and possibly pass on a generation. Um, so so when you come at it from that that sort of perspective. Uh, suddenly, you know, the, these uh, quick gain uh, uh, schemes uh, lose their meaning and, and you, you don't want to go for the easiest thing. You just want to create something that, uh, you know, feels and looks and, and talks and walks like your values and, and then is, is there for the long term. And that usually requires a bit more thinking. Yeah, that's nice. You want to get behind what you do, basically. And- and uh, yeah, before now, we are trying to keep it in one hour. So now I'm looking at the clock. But before <laughs> <laughs> that we end the discussion, uh, it was extremely interesting, by the way. it's uh, You always can learn something if you speak with someone that does what you want to know. It's uh, You can read as much as you want, but you need to speak with people to really, really know the, the minute details and the interesting facts. And, to close on that, uh, do you have any funny facts on the how the company started or whatever happened during the distillation that you feel you want to share some some funny situation that happened or? Well, 
there's definitely been there's definitely been the uh, ups and downs uh in all of this so one of the funny ones was when i was trying to take a small like a three-day holiday in uh, in the summer of 2015 and during that small holiday i, I got the call from iwsc the um uh, competition organization in london and the, the lady just told me that you know guys we've never heard of your distillery but you've uh, you've won this gin and tonic category so you'd probably start want to start making a lot of gin now um don't know about your production but yeah get on it and then i call Carla, like you know call I, I don't know what this means but uh, the lady sounded serious so <laughs> please make every, you know, every tank and pot and pan full of that stuff and and then we'll we'll see how it goes and um and of course we, you know we we did a lot of footwork around it we went to absolutely every bar we uh, uh we had time to go into in, in inside the next two weeks and 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 thank everybody for having us in already and and saying that's okay there might be some big news coming up and blah 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 uh, and and sort of that exploded the whole thing and and uh uh, uh heroic uh, production uh, sprint in that two weeks lasted for about two weeks and and then we were out and struggling uh struggling really for the next one and a half years but yeah it was uh crazy times how do you really scale a small production of gin like you cannot scale it that much you can scale it a little bit but then you cannot scale it too much otherwise it's not a small batch anymore well we had a couple of like long discussions about the fact that do we start compounding and by compounding i mean that uh, process which i told about before of adding neutral alcohol after the distillation just to get more volume out uh, but we felt that that would have uh, destroyed um, from the liquid side the the thick taste profile, the mouthfeel, and from the philosophical pro, uh, side uh, it would have uh, destroyed our you know production ideals. And so we didn't do it, and 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 that uh, really held us back uh, for a while. And and you know, but in a way, I working. guess that I mean it held us back maybe in uh, to mean in the business side, but. From the product side, for sure, it's just a plus. And uh, if you can still run the distillery with what you produce, uh, you do have are not in a hurry to scale it up in a way. If your goal of life is just not just making money and that's it, but maybe making something nice. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't regret that one bit. Uh, I know it's. I, I thought about it over a couple of sleepless nights in uh, in early 2016 and, and whatever, but you know we definitely made the right choice. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice to know there's there is someone behind <laughs> what you are drinking yeah, exactly. and they actually care. Exactly, like real people doing real stuff. Um, yeah. And then you know there's been a couple of incidents where we bought some new tanks, and uh, the bottom valve uh, has had a faulty um uh, faulty like uh screw cap and it's it's popped in the middle of the night and and i mean it's one of the you know the the worst uh product shortages so shortages uh color comes in the morning and finds like about 750 liters gin literally gone down the train uh, after the bottom valve has um popped so it's you know, always in the night <laughs> yeah it's always like weird stuff happens but all in all it's it's been such a rewarding journey uh and it's been so fun doing this with uh first with a bunch of friends and then 
getting some awesome people in in your team and and uh, growing the Kura family and now there's you know over 30 of us so uh, for me you know moving away from my corporate career and and doing this has been definitely one of the best decisions of my life and then you go back to the corporate career when you get big enough and uh, <laughs> well i've i've already told the guys that the, the moment we start installing sap i quit <laughs> Well, uh, this was an extremely interesting discussion, and uh, this was about gin. Then I don't want to uh, now overpromise anything, and I'm not sure how many people actually get this far in the podcast. So we can usually say whatever we want at the end; nobody cares. Uh, but it would be really cool if you or someone would come again at some point to speak about the whiskey side of the distillery. Of course, I think. You uh... have- you have your stuff to do so that's uh it would be nice no problem and since you know we're still about one and a half years out from launching the whiskey in proper numbers uh there's still time for me to recover so i'm i'm pretty sure you know if you guys are still doing this i'll be happy to come back yeah that's that would be very nice and i hope let's see um, how far we can go we were uh saying if we get to 10 episodes we are really cool and we are 23 now so maybe congrats uh, yeah before we close this, do you want to, where can people find you, the company, Twitter, website, whatever you use? Well, you can always find us at curadistillery.com or um, with the name Curadistillery in Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. But uh, in order to get the proper real experience, I really encourage you to come to Altermann in TS6 in Isokura, um, Finland and visit us at the distillery it's going to be a fantastic experience i promise and i think we're this year we'll have about fifteen thousand visitors already so um, a lot of people have already found it okay i'm gonna definitely have to come there at some point i know some people that know some of you personally that they work with me and they are from around there so they keep telling hey, just let's go I, I know these guys and uh at some point when I end up around those areas again, I will try to, to see the place. It's always always a nice thing to do. And well, thanks again to join the podcast and uh, hopefully the audio is good. Uh, you never know. Anything yeah. else? Nope, I'm, I'm cool. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me over and uh, you and your listeners enjoy your week. Yeah, uh, and until the next episode, Have good night, evening, morning, day, whatever. And see you next time. Bye-bye.